Welcome to Leadership Bites with myself, your host, Guy Bloom. This is a leadership podcast where I have conversations with colleagues, I chat with guests, and sometimes they'll be just me talking. You can connect with me at livingbrave.com. And when you enjoy the episode, subscribe and please tell everyone. Penny, it is absolutely fantastic to have you on this episode of Leadership Bites. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm chuffed to bits that you invited me. Thank you. It'd be great just to hear who you are and what it is that you either might be known for or and, and what you put your energy into. Well, what I'm known for, it depends where you've lived your life. Some people will know me as a presenter of car programs. Um, some people will know me as a mental toughness expert. Some people will know me as a rally champion. Some people will know me as a, a marathon runner, mountain climber, boxer. I don't know, all sorts of things. But I suppose I want to be known as an expert in mental toughness. That's that's who I am now. And and obviously I have had a journey to get me to here, which I'm sure you'll ask me about. But that's that's my thing, is mental toughness. Well, you see, when people list those things that they've done, that's when I feel fundamentally like I've underachieved. So that's... <laughs> I didn't tell you I was any good at any of them. <laughs> I've done them, but yeah, exactly. And that's what, that's the mental toughness bit I've, I've just done through it. So in that spirit of that, that mental toughness and how does that play out? Do you talk to individuals? Is it teams? Is it organizations? How does one tap into that with you? So I, a variation of different ways of getting um, my message out, but it's, it's not really more of a message, but it's a, it's a, I'm here to help you to build your mental toughness message. So I do keynotes, I do live and recorded ones, I do podcasts, I do coaching, so everyone does, uh, but I do mental toughness coaching. Um, and I, I present stuff still, and I host events. So I do, I do all of that stuff. But I, I suppose most of my time is spent speaking to uh, organisations, individuals, and teams, particularly an awful lot more teams now than ever before, of how to how they can build their mental toughness because everyone's under extreme pressure and quite a lot of stress. They still have to deliver, regardless of the fact that they can't be with their teams and they can't be with their customers, and it, it is creating a lot of stress for people. So, really, my my mission is to help people to to deal with that and manage that better, so that they can be happier. So that one to one coaching is something that you do. Um, the, the conversations then with groups and do you run workshops or interventions for people that want to dig deeper and maybe make it more <clears throat> more part of what they're doing as, as an organization yeah so all of that but I, I have um, I'm accredited to deliver mental toughness coaching which I start with a mental toughness assessment and I'm one of the few people that can do this so I would if you would if you if I was doing your assessing your mental toughness I would send you a link to an online questionnaire of 74 questions. It spits out a 15 page report for me on your mental toughness. We then talk through it. It highlights, and I'll tell you a minute, how the four areas of mental toughness, but it highlights very quickly to you and me where you most need help, development, support, whatever it might be. Um, that mental toughness assessment I can do with teams. I can tell you how mentally tough your team are. Are they likely to deliver on these ridiculous targets you've set them? What do they need in order to do that? Um, so it's, it's an amazing, amazing thing. Very clever algorithm behind it all. Um, and I, I've done these uh, assessments on a hostage negotiator last week. And that 
is somebody, a guy called Kurt Kinnell, who's unbelievable. Um, if somebody knows how to manage extreme stress and pressure, it's somebody like that. But also, you know, I'm working with you know, PAs and assistants and people who are really cracking and crumbling under the pressure. And, and just that lack of human physical contact and interaction, people are really suffering from it. So all levels through every organization from the very top to the shop floor, um, everybody needs to build their mental toughness, I think, in order to get through this and come well, out the other side. Well, before we get a little bit <clears throat> more into yourself, which I definitely want to hear more about, is that those four areas of men mental toughness would be worth, I think, picking up on and, and just making sense of? Yes, they're... They're very simple. One, the first one is control. How much do you feel like you are in control of your life? So some people feel that they are, they have the steering wheel of, of life. They can select the destination, the speed, the pace, that every decision that comes their way, they know exactly where they're going and how to get there. They, they feel in control. And some people don't. They feel like they're kind of at the mercy of the world and what it chucks at them. So the more control you feel you have over your life, the more content you are likely to be and then there's emotional control are you able to manage your emotions and the emotions of others you know people get everyone gets stressed everyone gets anxious but some people deal with it better and mental toughness is about the ability to manage the stress the pressure the chaos um, of life and goodness we've had more than our fair share of that so it's control do you feel in control of your life to what extent and how can we help you to feel more in control um, and then there is commitment Lots of people set goals and are committed to them and they see them through. And some people set goals and do absolutely nothing about them. And some people love goals and are very motivated by them. And some people are completely demotivated by goals because it might expose them as a fraud, might expose them as a loser and a failure. So are you committed and 100% committed, not a bit committed? Commitment is all or nothing. So that aspect is really important right now because people might want to deliver, but they just haven't got the energy and they just are strug really struggling to deliver on the goals and the, or the, maybe the crazy targets that their organization has set them. And then there is challenge. A mentally tough person will see every challenge as an opportunity. They won't see it as a threat. But, and COVID-19 is the perfect challenge, is it not? Do you see this as an opportunity to build your business? You and I have, will have completely changed our business model and adapted to where we are now. And some people have just hidden under a rock and want to just don't, don't, don't talk to me till this is all over. I can't deal with it. So how can I help you? How can your team or you as an individual learn to see every challenge as an opportunity? Because it will be in there. Um, so a mentally tough person will be really excited by a challenge or a setback because they can flip it, use it to their advantage. And the fourth aspect of mental toughness is confidence. Everybody really wants more confidence and confidence is something intangible. You can't hold it. You can't see it, but you can feel it and you can sense it. And if your confidence is low, people will pick up on it. That will have an impact on how much they trust you and want to deal with you. So building confidence in your own ability, having a genuine self-belief that I know I can do this. I am capable. I am able. And, and of course, a lot of people struggle with that. They feel their conf confidence is low. Um, and I'm not sure that I can really do this. And the imposter syndrome comes in here. I've been talking to people who are running really successful businesses, but still struggle with imposter syndrome. Can't believe I've got here. I'm going to be caught out tomorrow. 
So those are the four aspects of mental toughness. And there's lots of crossover, of course. And on every day of the week, we're in a different place with each of them, depending on what's going on. But if, uh, if you can get a really good picture of a person or an organization's mental toughness, you can develop every single area. You are not stuck. You might be stuck with the genes you're born with, but you're not stuck with your level of mental toughness. You can develop it. I've spent my life developing mine, a lot of it without realizing it. But um, this is really important. You know, we have, to, we have to develop these things in order to have a more relaxed, enjoyable, happy, successful life. Well, well, that's a that's a great explanation, and I think just for me, just when you hear those component parts of of anything, it helps. Even just hearing those helps you know that there's a yep. there's a route or there's an approach or there's thinking that can be done in these quadrants. So that's that's massively helpful, and I do latch on straight away to you hearing you know that that development of your your own self. Where and sometimes, of course, the lessons and the things that you're going through, you probably weren't defining them by those criteria at the time, right? No. But they they formed who you are. So that that journey for you of um, becoming realizing where your interest was, your focus, maybe recognizing some of the maybe this is why I'm having the successes that I'm having. So yep. just to hear that journey for Penny, how Penny got to be today uh, on on this episode. Um, you know, the, what, what's that? What is that journey that, with the relevant stop off points of? Well, that was a funny old time just there, but yeah. but that's where I really learnt my stuff or whatever. So what's what's part of that journey that's worth us understanding, Penny? In a nutshell, because I could talk about... Well, it, it, it's a life, right? We've got, we're on a 45-minute podcast. Right. But, got yeah. quite a few years to pack into a few minutes, but in a nutshell, and I don't mean this as a sort of, sort sure. of woe is me victim thing, but I grew up in, a, in actually a very upper-middle-class family, nice cars, nice house, um, but inside the house was mad. My mom was an alcoholic and she was a very severe manic depressive. And if you remember in the 60s and the 70s, you were locked away in a lunatic asylum when she, you did the things she did. And so I was, I, I really sort of grew up alone. I was scared of my dad. My brother was, we just thought we didn't get on. So I just sort of emotionally disengaged from the world. So struggled to make friends at school, all that kind of stuff. Moved to school loads of times, but my mom was always locked away. Or, and when she was out, she was doing crazy things or drinking. So by the age of 14, I'd, I was done. And I left home at 14. I never went back. And I ended up in homeless hostels. My boyfriend was a drug addict. He was a heroin addict. And I was just sort of having a pretty crap time. But the wonderful, wonderful thing is when I was six, I think I must have been six, I saw grandstand which was the sports program if you remember um at the weekends and I saw rallying and I saw cars whizzing through a forest and I never ever forgot this image of all these colorful cars and the co-driver shouting pace notes and oh my god it just looked like the most exciting thing I'd ever seen in my life and I just sort of locked it in my head that one day I'm going to grow up I'm going to be a rally driver and that do. stayed as with me as you do um and I, I guess a lot of kids grow up with, you know, I'm going to be an astronaut, a ballerina or a show jumper. And you, you just don't because life gets in the way. And life got in my way until I hit rock bottom and in London and thought, I don't want to play anymore. Before I do anything stupid, I'm going to lie. I'm going to borrow some money and I'm going to go to a rally school because it's the one thing I can't get out of my head. So I went to a rally school for half a day. And that changed my life completely. I fell in love with driving and 
12 years later, I was the first woman in the world to compete for Ford and to compete in the world championship in a world rally car. So I went from a complete loser to the top of the tree in world rallying. And that was more than I ever dreamt of, I promise you. But what it taught me, so all of that journey taught me so many things um, that I'm now leaning on, I suppose. And all the mental toughness stuff just backs up everything I experienced, everything I tried, everything I, I you know, I don't, I practice what I preach every day. I'm not, um, there's no BS with me. It, I won't say it unless I've, I know it um, or I've experienced it or I've seen it or I've heard it or I've been there. And, and thankfully my life has been quite diverse and interesting and adventurous and I've seen an awful lot of stuff. So that's brought me to where I am now. Um, but one thing I, I, I try to do is make my, my keynotes funny because I, I'm still very amused at my journey <laughs> and how on earth I did what I did. Um, but I'm really interested in helping other people to make the impossible possible, which is what I think I did. You know, there was no chance of me doing what I did. That's what excites me is the transformation. You know, I'm, I'm, I absolutely love renovating houses. I've done, I'm on my seventh renovation. It's that transforming from something dreadful to something amazing. That's what excites me. And I want to do it with people. I'm pausing there because it's. You are. I, I, I still do, and I know I love it. I I think it's. Um, I think when you hear sometimes our own amazement at um, where we started off, you know, I sometimes when I'm with a colleague with a client and they're a particularly well-known client and we're in at some far-off part of the world, as has happened sometimes, we've kind of looked at each other and gone. I only live in Birmingham in the UK. How did I end up here? <laughs> you know, and you do. We've all got these versions of just how on earth did this happen? And it's not imposter syndrome because you know why you're there because you're competent and you're credible, but it's still those stepping stones. So, so you went on that half or that, that, that first day and then that catalyst to continue uh, was there. What was that route into getting into moving from I've I've scraped together by fair or foul the 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 foul. means yeah the means to be here? How did that then move into I'm now going to do this? Okay, so I and I remember it like it was yesterday. And the guy that that was my instructor on that day to this very day is a good friend of mine. Um, he he sat in the car with me. I really wasn't very good, if I'm honest, and he would agree with that. But I thought, this is the first time I've been excited in my whole life. This is the first time I've found something that just, I, got, I get it. I, I want it. It's exciting me. I've never felt excitement in my whole life. And of course, most people go to a rally to school for a day and go, yeah, that was fun. And they go home and they get on with their life. And I drove home and thought, this is the start of my life. Now, how do I become a rally driver? And my, the instructor on that day, Simon said, you know, no, you, you, you're not going to become a rally driver because that doesn't happen to people. You know, you just come here for fun. I said, no, 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 I'm serious. I'm really serious. And then I worked out very quickly that you need a great deal of money to be involved in motorsport. I didn't have any money, so it was sponsorship. So I started marketing myself like crazy to raise some money to get me into a car that I could hire for an event in a couple of weeks. And I just got really good at raising the money. I got a sponsor within four months who sponsored me for two years. So then I've got a car, I've got a team, 
and I can start to deliver some results. And then I start kept doing the PR thing and shouting about, you know, this is me and this is this is who I am and this is what I'm going to do. And I started attracting major, some major sponsorship. So I don't know if you remember Wash and Go. You probably never needed it yourself. Oh, Guy, well, but, uh, it. Wash and Go shampoo used to sponsor me. Intercept washing machines. Do you remember the? <laughs> there was, uh, I wasn't born like, well, I was born like, I'm sure you did when, when <laughs> anyway, moving on. Long ago. Um, there was a female condom I don't know if you remember it was called Femidom yes. they sponsored me for a while it was like a carrier bag it was oh. didn't last very long that idea um, so I had some really cool sponsors and I was sponsored by Pirelli tyres and mobile oil and eventually Ford funded my driving so I got really good at raising the money and it's all about money so I had the best cars, the best teams, because I worked it. And of course, it's 95% finding the money and 5% driving. So I never, if, if I'd had my choice, I'd have driven all day and somebody else would have raised the money. But I knew I was, the, I needed this, wanted it more than anything in the world. I was committed like you can't believe, so focused, nothing else mattered. Everything else fell to bits including relationships, marriages, everything. Lost. I was prepared to put it all on the line because I wanted it so much. And I knew that nobody else would go after the money as much as I would. So I just got really good at raising the money. And then, of course, you get in the car and you have to perform. So, um, yeah, that's in a nutshell. It was work, work, work. I worked so, so hard at it. And you can easily, and I can show you a picture of me with cups and success and, you know, all that stuff, but champions are made behind the scenes, aren't they? So nobody sees in that picture of success what went into it. And it was, I, I worked harder than most to get where I was. And I was really happy to do that because I wanted it more than, more than most. So, And this is a fascinating thing that when we talk about mental toughness, which probably goes hand in glove with resilience and, and well-being, because when I, yep. you know, we, we work with execs, both you and I, and that, that drive, which can be overwhelming because I think, you know, excellence and madness are, can often be close bedfellows. And why are you working so late? Why are you, you know, what are you thinking about now when you're actually supposed to be talking to somebody else? There's almost, I don't know if you ever remember CFAX where, or was it Teletext where they had that mix button? And so you could see the TV, but you could mix the the text over the top. And you know, when you're talking to somebody that, you know, there's a secondary frame of reference going on for them all the time. So I, I do wonder where that balance in your experience comes between fighting to the point where other things fall off the table, but recognizing if I'm going to get there, is there another way of doing it? And, and I, I either have to forgo that end game and go, it's, it's not for me, or I have to recognize there might be a penalty. And I, I wonder your thoughts around that. Okay. So this is, this is something I'm quite passionate about. So I had no balance and I had no balance for a reason that as soon as you balance stuff you develop mediocrity because you're you're keeping all the balls up in the air i didn't want all the balls up in the air. i wanted one ball in the air and that was driving so everything else i was prepared to ignore um run away from there was no balance mm. and that was for a very good reason because i put all my focus and time and attention into one thing and that's i think a great part of of why i did what i did and why i succeeded 
had I spread myself more thinly, I would have achieved less. So there is something to be said for achieving zero balance. It's just that it doesn't suit most people. Most people will be prepared to give and take a bit, compromise a bit here, sort of just, just juggle a few things. Well, I, I was never interested in that. I wanted one thing. So every, every bit of me went towards that one thing. And I think that's, that's a, an elite mindset. And I don't mean you know stroking myself, but it's terribly destructive. It has its downsides because um, I've been married way too many times. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons is that I'm not very good at compromising. I'm really focused <laughs> and pig-headed and stubborn and determined and whatever names you want to throw at me, I was fine. But it doesn't, it doesn't, really work for many people and that's I think what sets apart really high performers is that they are prepared to put everything on the line for the thing that they want so deeply Mm -hmm. they deeply desire it and compromise is not going to allow um to get in the way because as soon as you start compromising you start taking you start sort of fuzzying the focus and that wasn't for me I'm not recommending this lifestyle to anyone by the way and it's not something that I, I encourage people. I'm just saying for me, achieving no balance worked really well for me, apart from the marriages, of course. Apart from all that stuff that didn't work yeah, out. apart from that stuff. <laughs> but, you know, Penny, and I, I find this fascinating because I think I see this all over and I recognise this in my own life in, in other areas. But I think that anxiety that many people feel between that inner drive and that personal need to... You could say it's validation or it maybe it's just the way you're wired or, you know, the psychology of it. We could, you know, could be a whole nother podcast. But the reality is that person has that, let's just say that hunger or that need to get to that particular space. But they've also then got this, unless they're fundamentally a sociopath, you know, they have an element of humanity, which means I do need to show affection to my children. I do need to have a warm, I don't want to lose my partner. So this inner anxiety sits between that sense of what they could be and want to achieve versus this, but if I keep going like this, I could be alone or I could damage these other people. And and I see a lot of people, maybe not so much in their 20s, you know, and et cetera, maybe that might, but when I, 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 a lot of mature people who are in that anxiety of balance, I think. um, Yes, I think you're absolutely right. And just think about it in a, in in the juggling sense, give me six balls, I will get stressed trying to keep them up. Give yeah. me one ball, peace. You know that's easy. Yeah. I can focus on that. It yeah. is stressful trying mm. to balance stuff. Most people have to balance stuff, and I totally get that. I do now. You know, I'm not quite as a nightmare as I used to be, and I was a nightmare. You become incredibly selfish, um, but that's. Yeah, but look and at the you don't get the trophies if you're not like that. So look, I'm much, I'm much nicer now. Yeah, yeah. Right, I'm a nicer person than I was, I think. Um, but I think, yeah, everybody's trying to achieve so much, huge, mm. crazy targets, incredible deadlines, incredibly extreme stress pressure. Plus, you know, right now we we haven't got the physical human interaction with customers, clients, whatever it is. It is incredibly stressful. And thank goodness I don't have to homeschool kids or anything like that at home. I I genuinely don't know how people are doing it. And they will be getting unbelievably stressed and anxious. Um, 
trying to trying to manage all of that stuff because it is you know spinning plates is is stressful yeah and, and that mental toughness element is maybe a, that's that's that portion of it i don't know which, which quadrant it comes into if it sits separate to it but it is that your relationship with permissions i guess to say i'm going to give myself permission to not do that or yeah whatever it may be and i've i've struggled with certain things even like editing podcasts where i've gone i'm not going to spend three and a half hours editing out the ums i'm just going to leave the bloody things in there and <laughs> we'll just move well, on i hope i can reduce your stress levels by you to, by saying please don't edit this at all just no. just not- roll it out the way it is yeah. yeah i think i think you're absolutely right it is um it is about focusing on what really matters that helps what underlies what matters you know all your values and belief system which i was so screwed up about for many years and it's i've sort of unraveled it all now um but that does sort of drive your decision making and if family and close connections and all that stuff is the most important thing then it's easier to start to understand how you prioritize things for some people you know who are so driven in business um and their focus is all in that they, they don't want the clutter of, of kids mm. and family and, you know, housey stuff. And it, that's why, you know, they can disappear off for weeks on end working all the hours God sends. And of course, those sort of people are probably still stuck. at <laughs> I don't know. Quite a challenge for people who are really, really focused on success, but are, cannot avoid the, uh, the clutter of life around them right now. It's a really interesting time. I am fascinated by it. There's a gentleman who's unidentifiable from what I'm saying, but uh, incredibly well off. Spent spent years working abroad, um, becoming a millionaire. And one of the conversations we were having was, uh, yeah, I'm just, I can't, I can't connect with my children. Well, that's because they didn't see you for nearly eight years. <laughs> You know, and, you know, there are, there are these, but excellence, you know, has its, or, or that drive. And or as some people say that's selfishness. Um, and that's the interesting thing. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm fascinated by that. So as you, you went through the, 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 the um, that rally driving, you were, you were known for that. And, uh, and then there was that, uh, I saw you actually, I think the first time I became aware of you was uh, on TV, you know, when you were. Yeah, uh, I was, I was really lucky guy. Cause I was a, freak um female driver and they're rallying not racing you know so it's even more freaky so i was channel four asked me to present driven which was at the time um a brand new show top gear was the only motoring program on tv and we smashed the viewing figures and they took top gear off the air after 21 years so driven was a massive success and i presented it with mike brewer and jason plato and they were some of the best years of my life. I had so, so, so much fun. It wasn't working at all. Then I presented the World Rally Championship and I presented the car show, the road show, the classic, every, the used car road show, every show to do with cars for about 15 years. Um, I did that. So, And I did lots of breakfast telly and stuff. Absolutely loved it. And I still miss it because I don't have a big family. And when you work on a TV show, they become your family the cameramen, the sound guys, the directors, the producers, they all become your family. And I really was devastated. It knocked me sideways when all my shows were decommissioned. It really took me a while to pick myself up from that because I needed, I just enjoyed that sense of family, which I'd never had as a kid or all my life. So the TV I absolutely loved. Um, 
and I don't do very much of it now, but I still do bits and pieces. Um, hopefully got a show that I'm talking to a production company about now, which is about mental toughness, actually. So hopefully we'll get that off the ground because that would be so nice to do. But so TV is I miss terribly, um, but I'm not 20 or blonde. And, you know, there's always. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, well, they don't they don't want old duffers like me has beans on TV anymore. But I loved it. And I'm so glad that I had the opportunity to do it. But now what I'm doing with mental toughness is so deeply satisfying to see people develop and improve and feel more confident, feel more in control. That is such, so exciting to me that I can help people to do that. Have you been tempted to go online in any kind of format through a kind of YouTubes or online learning that people can do with you or anything along those lines? Well, the trouble is with this is um, mental toughness is such a personal thing. Mm. I can't put together a course that will people can sign up to because I need to talk to, I need to get into your head. I need to get into your soul. You know, it's quite a personal experience and I can't do that with a course. Um, I could do it a bit with a workshop. If the people, the numbers are limited, I can, you know, we can have quite an open discussion, but mm. really the really quality work comes one-to-one or with a team. I work with a team on individually, but also as a group. Um, so yeah, it's not something that really, I don't think, I don't feel comfortable lending it to a course you sign up for it. I need to work with you one-to-one. Yours isn't that generic kind of, there's a book on mental toughness. I mean, there'll be, you could kind of do it, but you're, you're much more, no, I I want to work with the person, the human being and be there with you. I can talk about mental toughness as you can gather forever I'm passionate about it and I can talk generally about it. But if I'm talking about your mental toughness, we need to talk. Mm. And that's really the only way we can help to develop. I will spend my time challenging every assumption you've ever made. I will spend my time questioning everything, but I, I don't give advice. I don't judge. I'm just trying, you know, you've got all the answers. It's my job to get them out of you and to keep you focused on what it is you're trying to achieve in the long run. So it's an amazing process. It gives me huge amounts of pleasure, um, but it's not—it's not something you can sign up for and do. As no, I get it. On. So, when somebody taps you on the shoulder metaphorically and says, "Hey, Penny, I'd really like to do some work with you," what's the without obviously the detail, but what's that journey with them that says, you know, from when you go, "Okay, well, if we're really going to do this, then what's that process that somebody would expect to have with you?" So the process starts with the assessment. So, yep, let's work together, but I'm going to, I need to see where you're at and you need to see where you're at and be honest and be open and fill in this questionnaire really openly. So there's 40,000 combinations of answers. You know, this is two reports will never look the same. That gives us a perfect starting point. Then we'll meet once a week, once every two weeks, three weeks. It's, I leave my clients to decide how often we meet. I, I don't like to, pressurize people to meet you know you you this is your work we'll do it at your pace um, but I will leave everybody with homework and exercises to do after the every every meet that we've had at the end of a process whether it's a month or three months six months nine months I will reassess their mental toughness so they might start out as <clears throat> and wonderfully you get the number out of 10 you might start off as a five out of 10 mentally tough you might end up as an eight out of 10 you can actually physically see and this is great for HR because they can it's tangible you know they can say this was worth the investment we see an actual increase here you can see somebody's mental toughness develop and improve 
and you can put a number on it, which is just great. It's great, but really it's the emotional thing and you know how it transpires in their life that's that's exciting for me so I'm quite a challenging coach I don't I push people probably further than they would feel comfortable but getting you to feel uncomfortable is part of my job um because I want you to be doing things differently mm. that probably are, are a bit uncomfortable so mm. okay yeah and for you that when when you've been in that situation where you've received challenge or feedback or development yourself have you got a sense of any key moments where you go yeah that was in terms of how I experienced that challenge to myself to now do things differently that has maybe fed into your own style do you have any kind of um, a share there about how that made you think reflect shift and change well all my ex-husbands have had their their say and each of them (laughs) I've had to go should you have a point here? Okay. And that's, that's been quite interesting for me. Um, they were, they were all right about everything. Um, and I've had to do my own sort of self-development. I hate that expression, but, uh, yeah, I've had to, I've had to take a long, hard look at myself, but you know what, all of this stuff, I, I probably knew and was very comfortable with it being the way I was worked really well for me. It's just that it didn't in relationship. Familiar with yourself. Yeah. So I now know, I think I've probably got to a point where I know in order to tick my box, what I need from life, what I want to give, what I want to receive, I know, I know pretty much now what sort of a person it's is acceptable to be and how far I can push some things and throttle back on others. So yeah, I mean, every challenge I I, I went, I trained to fight um not to do boxer size, but to actually fight in a ring. So I'd done rallying, I'd done mountains, I'd done marathons and all these triathlons and stuff. And I thought I need more. (laughs) So I was 42 years old when I went to my local boxing gym and said, train me to fight. And I said, tell me when I'm ready, because I won't know, you'll know. So 11 months of mental training vomiting at the side of the road sprinting up hills at five o'clock in the morning you know just like I really pushed myself I've never been so fit in my life but I was 42 and they they got me an opponent for this boxing night and she was 21 she was half my age Kirsty from Coventry Kirsty from Coventry that's it she was not human she was made of stone or steel or something she wanted to kill me her family wanted to kill me they were shaking handbags and pints of lager in the first row. I've never been so frightened in my entire life. And of course the bell goes ding, ding. We've got three two minute rounds ahead of us. And I don't know if you've ever been in a boxing ring or done any kind of martial art, but two minutes in a boxing ring is the equivalent of two hours outside the boxing ring. It, it lasts forever. The bell never rings. You are hanging with nothing left to give. And the bell won't ring. It just goes on. And she, Kirsty, came out of the blue corner, landed a punch on me. I hit the deck and I'm down there going. And I've got a thousandth of a second guy to think, get up and fight back. This is not in the plan. And of course, everything happens very yeah. quickly, but also very slowly. And I was so cross with her for putting me down on the, the deck within seconds that I, I came out triumphant. Um, to this day I don't know how to do it but I tell you if that taught me so much about what I didn't know I had in me 
that my resources were deeper than I ever knew, that I, I could be more resilient than I'd ever, ever discovered. Those, those six minutes in a boxing ring taught me, yeah, you, you, you are stronger than you realize. And this is the truth with everybody is that the resources you have in you, you don't even tap the surface which is why you can't stay comfortable with life. You've, you've got so much going on in there that you don't even know about yet. And I found out about some of it on that fight. And I, I came out of that, I was battered, bruised. I remember going home, blowing my nose and going, oh God. And I was bruised everywhere, but oh my, I've never felt so excited and exhilarated in my life. And I swore that's it. I will never, ever do that again. And then I agreed to do a second fight with Monica Galletti from MasterChef. So um, that, that was another story. I won't bore you with that one. But, yeah, the, mm. the, the real takeout from this is every single person has such deep, deep, deep resources. And it's wonderful to know what you're capable of and how deep you can dig when you need to. I've taught martial arts for 30-odd years. and well, There you go. You know I, what I mean. Thai boxing, and et cetera, et cetera. And I, and I really resonate with what you said there, it, it makes me smile because it is that sense of, I mean, the joke is everybody's got a plan until the first punch in the face, right? But, but exactly that. You know, well, my favourite martial arts joke is, um, what do you get if you hit a black belt in the face? And the answer is a brown belt, you know, which uh, always makes me laugh. But, but I, I really resonate with that sense of we are forged in the fire. And that might be commercial, it might be on the track, it might be in the ring, but actually there is something about mental toughness doesn't mean you're not going to be in the fire. I think there's something about it's your reaction to the fire. Yes, and I, I think that there's also a danger when I talk about mental toughness is that people think this is an aggressive macho thing and mm -hmm. I'm talking about fighting and it's not. Mental toughness, I mean, talk, think about NHS nurses. No. these people are extraordinarily mentally tough resilient and just they're keeping on going and they're digging so deep these are probably most of them quite quiet people but yeah. incredibly tough so this is not about being macho and aggressive absolutely not this is about digging deep yeah keeping on going keeping your head up seeing the opportunity it's a relationship um, with vulnerability as well i, I think that that toughness yeah. the ability to say i'm tough enough strong enough i mean we give it the heading mental toughness but i'm strong enough to say i don't know or be it, you know when i was in the martial arts much more than i am now which is i don't know how to do that or he's terrifying <laughs> you know when i see the opponent i'm like holy schmoly you know and if you don't own your fear then actually you're hiding from your fear. And if you hide from it, you can't address it. And, it, you know, that, that ball keeps rolling. So, uh, yes, I, I do take on board what you're saying. It may, we may have a title for it, but it's, it's far from the caricature, I think. Is exactly what think. that. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Well, listen, um, time um, is something I've just got to be alert to when I do these things because I have this incredible habit of just wanting to keep going till the point where you go, guys, it's now Wednesday of the following week and I must, I insist that I must now go and live my life. <laughs> but, I love talking about this stuff, Guy. I could talk about it forever. I know. Well, I will talk about it forever. Well, that's fantastic. You know, um, but how would, uh, I'll put it in the description, but um, for, for the episode, but how would somebody make contact with you, Penny, if they wanted to reach out and have a conversation with you? 
uh, you just type my name into Google, you'll find my website, pennymallory.co.uk, and just just get in touch. It's um, what I do, and it's not, and this is not me bigging myself up, but what I can do for you as a client or customer, um, as, a, as an individual or a group or a team or organization, is really work hard with you to, to develop. And by developing, you will enjoy more six I sound so corny and I hate using overused expressions but you find some kind of um you find find a way forward you can start getting focused your determination rises your confidence rises this is all stuff we need right now and I just love 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 working with people to do this I, I really buy into it and that's why I wanted you on so listen Penny I'm going to press the stop button keep you on for a few moments just to chat afterwards but other than that thank you so much for being on this episode been a pleasure guy thank you that's it so I hope you enjoyed the episode please share so others get to hear about us and subscribe so you keep up to date on new episodes also visit livingbrave.com if you want to connect with me and find out more about executive coaching team effectiveness and changing culture oh and of course you can buy my book living brave leadership on amazon so on that note see you soon